I'm so excited about today's episode in our Girl, I've Been There Too series. Nia means purpose in Swahili. And so while our guest today will remain anonymous to protect her privacy, I call this episode Nia's Story because our guest recognized that her purpose in life is to set an example for her child. And in doing so, she had to make a difficult decision. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy Nia's story. Welcome to an episode in our Girl, I've Been There Too series. This series profiles our sisters who have been where you are. They know the stress, pain, confusion, relief, anger, and everything in between that you are feeling about divorce because they've been there too. This is real life and real talk because sometimes that's what we really need. They are sharing their experiences so that you too will know that you are not alone that your grown girl community is behind you and that you're grown. You got this. Thank you so much for joining me today. We have agreed that you will be anonymous during the interview to protect your privacy, though I do think it's really important for our listeners to connect with you in some way. So please share with us just a little bit about you and what your perfect Saturday morning looks like? Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm from California originally. I am 43 years old. I have two graduate degrees, um, both um, in social work, one a master's and one a PhD in social work. My perfect Saturday morning I think is slowly getting out of bed, listening to music, coffee already started that I didn't have to make um, <laughs> would be a great way to sort of roll into a Saturday morning for me. I love that. I, I didn't already have to make, don't they have automated like coffee machines though now? They do, but you have to do it the night before. And that oh, means I well. have to remember it the night before. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's okay. Good deal. So tell me, you know, This whole conversation is about your divorce journey and and your experience, but I want to start from what your general experience or exposure to divorce was prior to your own divorce, if you had any exposure Mm -hmm. um, at all. Yeah. So um, yes, I am a child of divorce. I would say though, like my experience with it was I don't think I really even thought about divorce that much as a child. My parents divorced when I was very young. I was about um, one, maybe one and a half. Okay. Um, To put a finer point on that, I have a sister who has a different mom and she's only two and a half years younger than me. So you could do the math there. So I never really, I knew that my parents had been married, um, but I never knew them to be married. And so- it, it wasn't a thing that I thought about. Okay. Um, and I actually, I think I, not that I could, you know, tell you about my parents' personalities when I was five years old, but <laughs> I think I knew that it was for the best, right? Like yeah. I always felt like, oh, I have two homes. I have two Christmases. Like I was that kid. Like it just 
seemed like a positive experience to me. And then I think like growing up, I don't, I don't really remember elementary school, but I know that by the time I got to high school in my friend group, there of about seven or eight of us, there were two of us whose parents were married. Right. So that was, it was sort of the norm to like, just know a bunch of people and be around a bunch of people whose parents were divorced, who spent, you know, going back and forth in weekends on weekends with one parent or the other. So I think it was just sort of normalized in, in my own experience. You know, I think that's interesting because when we think about the idea of divorce and talking about divorce, you start out saying, you know, you're in your forties and to have friends, you know, in high school or around that age, whose parents were also divorced, you know, certainly is the reality that getting divorced isn't a new thing. I think people kind of talking about it more, especially in the black community and owning it as a, there's no shame, there's no stigma. This is what it is. I think that has really grown over the years. And my hope Mm -hmm. is that, you know, having conversations like this will allow us and children to also, you know, normalize this in terms of it being a relationship is a part of one's family. And so that it's not this ostracized or, you know, kind of outlier thing, but that there are families who look different in many ways, including having um, been divorced. So really interesting that your experience was one by which you were in a community where you knew other kids and and families who were divorced. I do think it's interesting that um, divorce was probably not as high a rate as it is now, but very prevalent in the eighties when my parents got divorced, but TV was not necessarily mirroring that, right? Research. I mean, like there is a whole narrative that is still very persistent about kids coming from broken homes or single family homes, particularly black children that um, does not pan out necessarily. Like we've seen the research on fathers, that Black fathers are actually very involved in their children's life, even if they don't live at the home, right? So I think that what's normal in any individual community's experience is not necessarily mirrored by what the ideals of like society and what researchers are actually studying. So anyway, I would just add that. No, and I think that's great and, and certainly very important for so many reasons. But one, when we talk about this idea of the divorce narrative, you hit right on it that the narrative in so many ways, when we think about black families and what it means to be from a single household or quote broken, right? It has a negative connotation. And so it doesn't often mirror everybody's experience and their reality. And again, I go back to, that's one of the reasons that grown girl divorce for me is so important in shining the light on differing experiences, but having this conversation with black women specifically that, you know, we're good, we are fine. And it is not all of the stereotypes and stigmas that society often wants to um, lay on us. And so I, I, I appreciate you as a researcher pulling, pulling that out. Um, what I was going to ask you in having the experience that you, that you had within your own family, and then certainly, you know, friends, 
How do you think that shaped then your own divorce? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that despite my experience, I was very anxious and I think was, I think I spent a lot of time um, in the years preceding my divorce, thinking that there was just something wrong with me. Right. I did not, I did not go into marriage at all thinking like, well, if it doesn't work out, I could just get divorced. I didn't think that at all. And so I think I spent a lot of years sort of blaming myself, um, you know, in therapy after divorce, there were some things that I was responsible for, of course. But I, I think I went into my divorce thinking like, oh, I'm not good at this. Okay. And it wasn't that I wasn't really relying on any other experience. I know a lot um, about my own parents' divorce and, and other people's, but I, I don't despite feeling like divorce was normalized, I don't think I felt confident in saying like, this isn't working for me. I need a divorce. I I think I was trying to push back to like prove that I could be in a situation that was not right for me. Interesting. Interesting. And, you know, I want to circle back to that in a minute, because I think being able to speak to this, I kind of went into divorce, but you said the years leading up to with some anxiety and, and thinking about, you know, is this, um, am I bad at this? And I think by this, you were referencing kind of marriage and the idea of marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, so I definitely want to, to circle back to that, but in getting to marriage, I want to understand and, and really have our listeners understand a little bit of the backstory. And so tell me, you know, how did you and, and your spouse meet? <laughs> yeah, we met out at like a networking event. Um, just out one night, we both were with our respective group of friends. Um, I think a friend of mine had sort of been talking to his group of friends first, and we just started chatting. Um, and so we just you know, started hanging out, started talking from there, and then sort of had, um, I would say, a pretty tumultuous back and forth dating experience. When you think about the dating experience, certainly we know hindsight is is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. But when you look back at that time, or even you know, kind of the early years um, in your relationship. You know, were there things that you were feeling about yourself in the relationship that you can look back on now and say, gosh, I ignore that, or I really should have paid more attention to that? Oh, for sure. I think that there were ways that I did not ask enough questions or get to know him. Right. And not that like, I found out anything that was horrible, that he was a bad Mm -hmm. person, but just like matching my style in alignment with my values, I don't think I ask enough questions. I think because I wasn't clear back then about what I wanted from dating, you know, it's easy to be in a dating situation where you're just sort of going along with the flow um, and not saying like, these are my expectations. This is what I want out of this. And so when, when you don't set expectations, other people don't have expectations. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that influenced 
a lot. So I think that there was a lot of value misalignment that I just missed and didn't know to ask. And I think it's actually interesting. I know you said you wanted to circle back with your question before about whether or not my experience of divorce informed my own divorce. Mm-hmm. I actually don't know that it informed my divorce. I think it more so informed how I approach dating. Like I, I don't think I had enough experience or knew the questions to ask. And I didn't have parents who were directly saying like, this is how you should navigate dating. Right. So I just didn't ask a lot of questions. And so I will say that when we (laughs) finally stopped the sort of back and forth, which happened over a couple of years, and we decided to really be together, I think we both, not just me, but took for granted that we knew each other because there had been years, right? So there was quantity, but like we had not got spent enough time getting to know each other over those years. And so I think that was a, a wrong assumption on both of our parts. You know, that's so interesting because I think many times, right, in that dating relationship, there is quantity, right? So mm-hmm. we date people for a long time and whether that's, you know, break up, get back together, or we just kind of, you know, stay together um, because there's a level of comfort in staying together, but it's not the quality. And so right. having this idea that, you know, we just kind of roll with it and and go with it. But I think too, once you then get married, you know, my experience as a divorce attorney, there's so many women who will say, but we've been together 15 years. We've been together for Mm -hmm. 20 years. I think I've only maybe been happy for five of those. And Mm -hmm you know, but it was this idea that, you know, but we had been together so long or, you know, we met in college and Mm -hmm. it was kind of the natural progression. It's what we do. And, and so I appreciate you saying, you know, we didn't really know each other. We kind of took for granted that this idea of quantity, um, replacing, you know, quality of, of the actual relationship. So here you are, you get married how soon after being kind of married, um, did you have children or did the two of you kind of wait for some time period? Yeah, we waited. Um, let me do the math. I think we waited about a year and a half to start trying to get pregnant. Okay. So very sort of traditional. Yeah, I think we yeah. waited about a year and a half to okay. start trying. Yeah. And so you have a child together. Life is happening, right? We've Mm -hmm. got a little person and just all the realities of, of kind of, you know, being a wife and mother and, you know, Mm -hmm. moving forward in, in your own career. When do you think you kind of started to realize that maybe things in the marriage weren't going in a way that you felt was going to be kind of productive long-term for you. Right. Well, I mean, and I tell everyone this who's ever asked me, like when you start doing real therapy and you're really exploring yourself, you will see in hindsight that there were always signs, right? So like, but we're not necessarily talking about that, but I could talk about like things that I thought even before we got married, but gosh, maybe when our child was about two or three, 
okay. is when I just began to feel just like overwhelmed by, by like my marriage in a lot of ways. Okay. You know, once yeah. you had that realization, what did you kind of put in place or what did you start to think about or, or start to do? So I, I would say I spent a lot of years, actually, I spent a good number of years spinning wheels is how it, how, when I think back about that time, how it felt, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of anxiety, like I said, about what am I doing wrong in this um, relationship, um, anxiety about like, ooh, is today the day we're going to have a conversation? Like, I want to get things off my chest, but I don't, right? Because like, yeah. when you really think about like, fights aren't just about the thing that's a, that the fight is about, what's in front of you. They often are about something so much bigger, right? Yes. yes. And so I will just like pinpointing um, the thing is the year before I got divorced, I spent a lot of time feeling physically ill. And so going to sort of specialist after specialist that my doctor was um, recommending me to, to be like, what is going on? Right. Like thinking there was something wrong with me. And my doctor finally was like, look, we've done a lot of things. You've had an ultrasound. You've had this, you've had that. Like, I really think you're stressed and you need to get some therapy. And so that was the sort of like moment where, you know, in that moment, I was not ready to think like the stress is my, is my marriage. Right. But that was a defining moment, which was like six months, right. Yeah. (laughs) Going to all the specialists and going back to my doctor and all of that, that was about six months. So it's never really a thing, but like the conversation with my doctor about getting therapy. And even then, like, I think that there is a lot of, there are a lot of subconscious ways that we, um, um, we trick ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I picked a therapist who was lovely and she wasn't going to tell me the things I needed to know about myself. Right. Or not, and it's not a therapist job to tell you that, but she wasn't going to push me. I should say she was not going to push me. And on some level, I probably knew that. And I remember saying to friends like she's fine but we spend a whole lot of time talking about work and I'm like I don't care I don't care about those people you know like that's not the thing but I also wasn't ready either conscious enough or brave enough or ready to identify the thing myself um so that was sort of I would say in that uh, you know in that year that was the year before um I left my marriage that was like a defining thing. Like it, it felt like I was doing some excavating, right? <laughs> like the problems actually aren't physical. Stop going. Everyone is telling you you're fine, yes, yes. So, <laughs> but something's wrong. Right. And so it just was getting close or like maybe not excavating, maybe the metaphor is like tilling the onion, getting yes. closer and closer to what um, the issue was. And so it was actually going to that therapist who wasn't right for me, who wasn't able to push me in the right ways. And I will say, I, I distinctly remember, remember a conversation with my ex-husband where not trying to paint him in a bad light, but he was like, okay, you're going to therapy. So like, what'd you fix about yourself? Right. Yeah. And, and finally me being like, I actually don't think I'm the problem. I think we're the problem. Yeah. (laughs) And so that was when I, like, I stopped going to that individual therapist and I asked if we could go to couples therapy. And then that was like, the train's moving out of the station. And that is when I started just having a lot of realizations for myself. 
the reference to therapy and, and the finding the right therapist, because I think a lot Mm -hmm. of times, especially when you're having these moments of considering divorce or not even knowing if it's divorce, you know, you talked about having these physical ailments and Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of like what's happening, but not really kind of pinpointing. And I think a lot of times there's thoughts about, okay, well, maybe if I go to therapy, but connecting with the right therapist is key Mm -hmm. because going and sitting and, and just kind of not really kind of digging and getting to the work that needs to be done is just, Mm -hmm. is really just kind of going. And as you were talking about, you know, great, we're talking about work, but knowing that you could care less, like that's not the issue. Right. So, you know, one of the things that I have said to clients over the years and, and friends over the years, finding the right person who is going to challenge you, but challenge you in you doing the work outside of the session. Cause that's where the actual work happens in the session. Yeah. You know, they're there to ask questions or to listen as you kind of explore things and, and talk through things, but challenge you to kind of go beyond this one hour and really kind of do the, doing the work beyond and exploring what's really happening. So, you know, and I would add to that, actually, I would add, because I think like, I just actually had this realization in the moment that what you're doing with grown girl is really, um, is a part of that work too. Like, I think, I do think that outside the pushing you to do work, absolutely 100%, that is where you really start to explore yourself. But in sessions, I would say, and this, this first therapist was a white woman. And I, I don't believe at all that a white person cannot support you through whatever your issues are that you are bringing to therapy that you want to explore more. But in retrospect, she did not have a sort of lens on like why my experience was different as a black woman. Yeah. And so like what I've heard you talk about before with grown girl is that like, yes, anyone could talk you through the steps of divorce or anyone could share with you resources, but there are some fairly common experiences or sort of cultural ways of being that black women are experiencing that makes grown girl unique in this, in this work. Right. And so I think similarly about therapy is that I really feel like there were some questions that like, maybe she wasn't asking me and I I don't know that it was intentional. Maybe she just didn't know to ask. Right. Like I will say I've had two therapists post-divorce and I was very intentional. Like I want a black woman who's slightly older than me, who has children, you know what I mean? I was yes. very, like she, I had a list, like forget a list for men as like a straight woman. I had a list for a therapist. Um, and I needed someone to meet that criteria. And both of those black women therapists, there have been times, you know, especially now in zoom where it's like, I say something and I give a look at the screen and they already know what I'm Yes. Right. Like, I think that's one of like those cultural and it doesn't actually always have to be a black person, because I will say our couples therapist was not black. She was a South Asian woman. But there are some cultural references, some things that particularly in the U.S., I think people of color experience. Yes. And so that there there is power and meaning to when you share something that's happened in your life and you can look at a person and they can make sense of what you said without 
without asking saying. questions, without, without saying a word, right? Yes. And so I did not have that with yeah. that first therapist. And I, I think that was some sort of um, sort of self-sabotage on my own end in, in some ways, maybe not completely, but in some ways, I just didn't want to hear it yet. Look, I think it's truly about having a space of relatability, being able to communicate just based on cultural experiences, nuances, but also this idea that as you were having whatever discussions, maybe it was a look she was giving you that resonated with you in a way of like, who am I fooling? Right. Without her saying anything or, you know, am I really being true? Right. So there is that there, there need in many ways, especially when we're dealing with such intimate issues, vulnerable issues that it isn't about somebody's, you know, professional degrees. It's not about whether or not they can um, guide you through whatever that process is. Cause I do say that all the time. Like, look, I'm not here to say that working with a white divorce attorney is a terrible thing. Not at all. Oh. What I am saying though, is having this experience and going through the experience of being a black woman going through a divorce. There are some things that we experience in our process as we navigate all of these things, um, it's, it's different, right? So I I do think it's so important to give voice to that. At any point, did you have this thought of maybe I'll just stay for our kid? No, (laughs) absolutely not. Um, nice. I I say nice because you are very definitive. I'm just going to speak frankly. Yeah, there was, I think, even before I knew that divorce was the thing, um, I knew that I did not want to be my mother-in-law. Okay. okay. And so there were a lot of, you know, and I'm an outside observer. I did not grow up in their family. So there's a lot of nuance that I don't know, right? You only hear stories after the fact. You only especially when people live far away, you only observe them in, in short weekend spurts, all yeah. of that. Yep. And even with the exposure that I did have, I, I knew that there were um, just some things in, in their family functioning that had greatly impacted her. And I think impacted the way that, as I saw it, she did and maybe still does, um, navigate a relationship with her children and broader family. Yeah. And so I, and that ended up becoming one of the first things that, that we talked about, right. in in couples therapy that like, for me, family did not mean proximity. Like, oh, we all have to stay together because if we're together, that's the only way family is defined. Okay. And I, and so that I will say back to one of the first questions you asked, I think that actually did influence um, how my parents' divorce did influence my own divorce because my mom was a single black mom in the eighties. And so we always had community and extended family and family around us. Okay. And so I knew 
that family was not only just this like nuclear family that had to stay together for whatever reason, no matter how unhappy any individual member of that family was. And so that was a thing that was very clear to me that like, I would not show up for myself and for my child like that. So oftentimes that is the thing, right? That it's this idea Mm -hmm. that we stay in these relationships. We stay in this marriage because of the definition. And I put that in quotes that family means everybody in the house together. Right. And so you having that experience of being like, nah, that's not what it means. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it means a lot of things, but in most importantly, it means that we are happy and this is a healthy environment and it's in two different households. That's more important than this idea of we all are staying in the house together just for sake of saying we are, we are together. Yeah. So I, I think in some ways, right. That gave you a freedom that a lot of women, right. Can't yet see or, or not yet have that kind of realization of it's really okay that yes, we have kids, but our ability to be happy as a quote family does not you know, it's not limited by us staying all within, in the same, the same household, because we know that clearly staying all in the same household for many does not look like happy or healthy. So it's, we're going to, you know, now go from one household to two household. What was your kind of top priority and how did you kind of pull a plan, you know, pull a plan together? I say this, I it's wild to me, but like, I was so focused on housing. Okay. I was in retrospect, oddly focused on housing. I've never been housing insecure a day of my life, but I was like, oh my God. And I, I think, um, I think there was just a lot of insecurity around, like, we lived in his house that he had owned, that he owned prior to us being married. Right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And so I think I had some insecurity around that. Like he is an established homeowner and the, the you know, in my mind, DCFS, I, I guess was just going to be like, <laughs> you can't take this child. Yeah. You don't have any place to live. And yeah. like, it feels bizarre to say that out loud now, but that I was very like, once it was clear in my mind that I was like, oh, no, the marriage is the problem. Like, you're not the problem. It's the dynamic of the two of you. I spent hours looking for an apartment okay. that I could afford that was close because I didn't just want to up and be like, oh, I'm out, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. I, I was never going to like take her across state lines or anything like that. But I, I wanted to make sure that we still had some connection. Yes. Um, but I spent hours. <laughs> hours looking for apartments um that and that was the first thing that I did and then from there it was just sort of you know I looked into a divorce attorney I think my advice would be to get a divorce attorney if you can like we did not have a lot of things in common besides our child like we did not share accounts things like that so it was very easy to sort of 
take what you came with and leaves. And we're fairly competent people. So we figured out how to navigate the paperwork ourselves. And so we didn't pay anyone. We just did it ourselves and it worked out that will not work for maybe the majority of people. I don't know. Um, and and we're fairly amicable people, right? Like we worked out a parenting schedule, all of that um, on our own with no outside support, but I was, I was, I was, you know, concerned about those things. So I did look up like parenting schedules, um, yes. issues of housing, like how to navigate a divorce yourself. Like, was there one of those like legal aid places that I could go to if I needed yeah. to? Because like a divorce lawyer just seemed so expensive considering our circumstance. Okay. Um, of not having a lot of, you know, like housing or finances or things in, in common owned, you know, together. Yeah. So one, I love, love, love that you said, look, it was about housing for me, right? It was, that was my thing and figuring that out because I think for most women, that's probably the number one thing that Mm -hmm. it's, where am I going to go? Assuming that I'm moving and in your situation, that was a reality because as you referenced, you know, this was his house before we even got married. So this idea of like, he was going somewhere just wasn't, that wasn't going to happen. Right. It was like, all right, where am I going to go? Yes. There is a change in residence and figuring out, you know, where do I go? And if I am staying in the house, can I actually afford this house? And, and so those are the things that, you know, keep us up at night or keep, you know, in thinking about how do I navigate this? But it also, I think is, is the one area where people then often decide, well, you know what, I'm just, it's too overwhelming. I'm just going to stay in this situation. And my response as somebody who has helped people navigate this for years is to say, just write it down what you're concerned about. Right. So if you're concerned about, I got to find a house, I'm a big per I'm a big, big, like visuals make a world of difference. And so if yeah. it's writing down, I got to find a place to live. You knew you wanted to be, you know, close. So that's on the list, right? Close proximity. Yeah. You know, I need two bedrooms or whatever, because I think what that does is it takes some of the fear out because now it's on paper and yeah. you almost can kind of, you know, work through it as a checklist, right? So here it is. It's like, look, these are the things that I know that I need. So now how do I go about kind of figuring out how to make this work so that it's not just kind of rattling around in our heads, because that's where I think things get kind of overwhelming and, and, and lost. So I, I, really, really think that's so important. Now too, you know, the hairs in the back of my neck um, are standing up when you're like, I mean, you know, I didn't work with a divorce attorney. So let me say this, you were correct in your situation, (laughs) as you've referenced, you know, not necessarily um, the, the absolute need, but you did reference that you had the ability to connect with somebody who could at least say, what about this? Or did you think about that? Yes. Or did you that? Because if you don't have that, right. You know, right. I'm always, always, always saying you have to connect with a professional, like, and yes. I, it's so expensive. I get it, but it can be, a lifesaver 
at least having a consultation with a divorce attorney to help you kind of set things in motion or get yourself organized or understanding some things. Because once you enter that judgment, whether it's for the finances or whether it's a parenting plan, it's harder later to modify or tweak things. And that's where the costs really can add up. And so I I really, 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 you know, recommend that people work with an attorney um, if they don't have somebody and by somebody that being an attorney who is experienced in divorce and family to help them with some things. Right. And I will say, let me, for the record, I will say I am very privileged to know a divorce attorney who looked over the divorce papers with a fine tooth comb and did not charge me. I cannot afford this person's services. Right. So I, someone looked at paperwork on my behalf, right. To make sure, and to make sure I wasn't being wild. And, 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 and that person said to me, right. Like, oh, that's not how parenting works anymore. in modern times. Right. (laughs) Um, And so I do like, I did have someone look over it. I could not afford like the services of a divorce attorney. And, and I think given my situation, it worked out. Right. But I did have somebody look over it. Yes. So, so see, there we go. Like, you know, I do think, because I think it's, important because I worry nowadays where, you know, everything is DIY from, you know, blowing out a kitchen to, you know, finding on YouTube how to do box braids. Like I just, this is the, there are no TikTok divorces. There's no, no No. do not do a TikTok divorce. Do not, do not, please. Yes. You know, that is the area we need to, to let that go. Um, so you, you get divorced or, or you're getting divorced, you, you know, finding a house. How did you tell your child about the divorce mm-hmm. or, you know, mom and dad are moving into different houses. How did you guys, you know, have that conversation? Yeah, that was hard. Our child was, oh gosh, when I left, she was a month away from turning four. So she was three years old. Okay. I, I mean, I am an overprocessor by nature and I'm a trained unlicensed social worker <laughs> and I'm a qualitative researcher. So I spend a lot of time thinking about framing things for okay. people. Right. Yeah. So And, you know, if I searched hard enough, I could probably find you the notes in my notes app that I wrote down because I have at least 500 things saved in there. Right. So I, this, like, this is something I'm, I will never say that telling a child about divorce is something that comes naturally to me, but processing things with people is something that I think about a lot and do a lot. So I actually had just been working on some framing on my own and then shared it with my ex-husband. Okay. And I think his response was like, yeah, you're very thoughtful in how you think about these things. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> this sounds right. Okay. <laughs> and so for me, it was about what are the things that, that we know that happens for kids? Well, kids think divorces because of them. Right. And so the first thing, I don't remember like off the top of my head, what my, you know, what my little spiel was sure, for her. Sure. 
But the first thing that was like, mommy and daddy love you. was the very first thing that I said to her, you, yeah. you know, it was, and I, and I think the framing, like given her developmental stage, I mean, she was about to be four years old. I, it, you know, all the advice on any hard conversation you need to have with children is like, keep it simple. Right. Right. And so I, I think it was just something along the lines of mommy and daddy love you. There are a lot of adult things that mommy and daddy don't agree on. And it doesn't change how we feel about you, but it makes it hard for us to sort of be here together. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it was in, in the moment, right? She was like, yeah. okay. Right. Cause it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't yes. mean anything to yes. a four-year-old or maybe even an older kid in the moment. Cause yes. you're all just sitting in the house that you, you know, if you have been fortunate to live in the same house your whole life, you're all just sitting there in the house you've always been in and yes. okay, sure. Um, but when the rubber hits the road, right. right like right. when your mom's stuff is on, when you are going back and forth, like things, then things are like completely different. Yes. And so it's never, I mean, listen, just this weekend, my child who is now eight has asked and asks, continues to ask questions okay. about her father and I. And I think over the last, we've been divorced almost four years now, the, the kind of questions have changed. Sure. Um, and sometimes it's still about the divorce, but you know, I will say this, like, as we just talked about with lawyers, always talk to a professional, but also know that sometimes professionals aren't going to have it right. So I remember yes. at her four-year-old checkup that year, I told the pediatrician, like, I just want to give you a heads up that like, you know, we're getting divorced. I've moved out. So we're, she's splitting her time. Yeah. And her doctor said, I, you know, don't, one thing I appreciate, he said, don't beat yourself up. Moms always feel like it's their fault, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I was like, yeah. thank you. That's very helpful. And he said, also she's four she'll forget that you all were even married. And let me tell you something, like I just said, my eight-year-old yep. just asked me actually a question that you asked, how did you and my dad meet like yeah. yesterday? Yes. And so <laughs> the, the question, I, I don't think anyone should think and should actually get comfortable with the idea that this is an ongoing narrative yeah. of your child's life yes. that you don't want to squash. Yes. That you don't want to say, and that was a problem that I had, like of all the training and all the things that I've done in my life, I, at some point felt very anxious about I've moved on. Why haven't you, yes. you know, yes. And they're not because we told her that we were still her family yep. in that yes. conversation. And so why would I think, and I did think that we would just stop talking about family. And so yeah. like, this is a step you take because you, you have a vision that in the long run, it's better for everyone actually. And I will say, I think that our divorce was better for their relationship, improved their relationship, I should say. Okay. Um, but you have to be prepared that you can't be angry at a child for wanting to know their story and you can't make them feel bad about it for asking about their father. Um, and you can't tell them to be quiet, even though you're like, well, I do not want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> if I have moved on that, like that is their narrative. That's their story. And so, um, you know, it, it's been a four year conversation. It yeah. does not end. And it's a regular, 
and I've I've gotten more comfortable about it. Like I, I have like a, a book that I can recommend that people, you know, whatever use with their um, children. But like, it's been an ongoing conversation. So it was not just that first conversation we did, or I kept it very developmentally appropriate for her age. Yep. Um, I have not really changed the details because she's eight. And, and there's a way in which like that divorce is ours. It's not hers. Right. So she doesn't, right. Um, I don't, I don't know how I'll frame it when she's 12. Um, or if it will change even then, but for right now, it's right. that, you know, mom and dad did not agree on adult things. And that's what she needs to know and that we love her. And so it's an ongoing, regular conversation, especially when you have a question asker as a child. They are going to have those questions and, and have the right to understanding, right? Like as a part yeah. of, their own journey of like, who am I and what are my experiences and what's my narrative? And I never thought of it that way, which is interesting because when I mediate with co-parents, one of the things that I often ask is if your child is being asked about their parents' divorce, What do you hope that they will say? Parents will say, well, you know, I hope it was, you know, um, amicable or I hope it, they say that, um, you know, they weren't involved. But the best answer that I receive is always the one that says, I hope they say nothing because it was not their divorce, meaning that their life in some way changed, but it is not this idea that our divorce so rocked their world that they have this full-on conversation about it. And it's very similar to what you're saying, which is, yep, how we met, how we dated, how long we were together, what are, yes, that's about them and, and, and their life and how they came to be. But Mm -hmm. the entire process and this idea of of divorce and involving them in the actual divorce is not their space and shouldn't be their Mm -hmm. space. So I, I, I I really, really, that really resonates with me. And, and you're right. You know, she was four at the time. She's now eight. What she asked at 12 may be very different than what she asked at 15. And frankly, it may be very different when she is ready to get married herself. Yeah. It's an ongoing thing. Yeah. Staying in this lane about kids and, and, you know, you talked about being a co-parent and, and the co-parent as an ever evolving kind of relationship. Tell me how you handle the times when you are not with your child. So, you know, I know that that is a very, trying and difficult, certainly in, in the, the early years of, of a divorce. And, and maybe even, mm-hmm. uh, it might depend on what kind of the holiday or the time period is, but how do you get through those mm-hmm. times? I think it was hard and there are still hard moments, but I will say even before I had a child and as I had a child, I, and I, maybe this is a testament to my own mother, but I am a person, like, 
I see myself as a fully formed human being without being a mother, yep. right? Like mm-hmm. she is my everything, but she is not my entire life. Okay. Um, and, and I have all, like, I did not want kids when I was smaller. I did not spend my time writing down the names of children when I was like 11, 12 and imagining some whatever wedding, right? So, and I'm not saying people who do that, you know, are only defined by motherhood, but like, it just, that was not, <laughs> yes. that, I have a very independent mom. So yeah. that was just not my narrative. It wasn't the way I engaged. And so I did, and like I said, I did have moments and there continue to be moments. So in the beginning, um, as I said, I I went with a parenting schedule of the 80s and I <laughs> attempted to dictate to him that he would see her every other weekend and have dinner once a week, like on Wednesdays. I don't remember what I said. Okay. And, and I think at first he was like, okay. And that flew for a little bit. And okay. then he was like, yeah, no, I actually want to see my child. And my lawyer friend said, you know, you are a child of the 80s. That's not how fathers are anymore. And so, um, yeah, so we we very early on began to split time. Okay. And now this is still a thing that fascinates me. I knew, even though she does not define my whole life, I knew I could not do a whole seven days without seeing my child. Okay. And so we do a two days on two days off every other weekend split. So that may be confusing to some people, but like Monday, Tuesday, then the next parent Wednesday, Thursday, and then we switch weekends. Gotcha. At first in the beginning, when we started doing that, I, it, it was like every weekend was like a pity party. I think the week is just so busy with work and everything. I don't think I noticed it. And okay. frankly, it was probably a break because everyone knows like weeks are are crazy a little wild and crazy right yes but the weekends at first it felt a lot like um a pity party and I was just sort of at home by myself I don't know what I was doing but then there was just this moment of like oh oh wait I can do things with myself (laughs) I can go places sort of, you know, I don't mean unburdened in a way that like they slow you down, but like in the way of like, I can do the thing that I want to do. And when I turn on, you know, the car and put on Spotify, it's my playlist. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's not kids, bot. It's not kids it's not, bot. you know, it's not all, it's not the questions. It's not stopping for snacks. I can eat at my leisure, that sort of thing. Yes. Um, and so that only took me a couple months to realize. Okay. And so, yeah, that, that early part was hard. Okay. And I will say another thing, you know, un- interestingly, unlike my own experience, um, my daughter is only, well, not anymore, but for, for several years was the only kid within my, my friend group is very connected was the only child in my friend group who was, who was a child of divorce. Right. And so that's still hard to navigate. And it's interesting to me. um, Many people in my community themselves come from divorced family or different family forms, or their children by, you know, different parents or what have you. But until you have to navigate it with your own child, you know, I don't think a lot of people really talk about those things or right. really say like, hey, these are all the ways that families can look, right? Unless yeah. you're navigating it yourself, you know, yeah. whether you're divorced. 
whether you um, are a couple in the LGBTQ plus community, right? Like you don't really, until you have to do it, you don't really say anything to yes. your children. So that was hard. There was a lot of like, oh, well, where's her dad, right? And yes. at four, even at eight, she yes. doesn't, I, I see the moments. I think like if someone asked about us, she would say, oh, I live with my mom and my dad in different houses. They both love me, blah, 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 blah. Okay. But I also see the moments where it's like everyone else's two-parent family is there okay. and it's just the two of us or whatever. Yeah. And I can, I, you know, you learn how to read your kids' faces and I could see the times where she's uncomfortable with that yes. still. Um, and that's very different from my experience because like I said, I always knew, I only knew my parents would be divorced and cannot even now at 43, imagine them having ever been married. Um, <laughs> and so I, I just think that that's um, an interesting experience and that's something to navigate. But like those, once I realized that I could actually do things that changed up everything. I think I'm constantly like telling my friends, like, let me be clear about what my weekends are so we can mm-hmm. do things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I was, I was going to say the short story is I was sad and then I wasn't, and I took advantage of my time <laughs> and I'm fairly protective of my time. I mean, there are times when I, I, I do feel like perhaps he asked me too much to take her, but I'm fairly protective of like, yeah, sorry, I can't do that. You know? Yes. yes. Um, yeah. And I think that's just as important. I, I think that you know, once you kind of find a rhythm and and you start really kind of becoming comfortable with things, I think it's really important to set boundaries because one of the things that we know is it's very easy, especially as women to always be the safety net or always kind of be like, fine, you know, I'll do it because it's, it's my child. And, and I, I do say to women, listen, everybody's got to rise to the occasion here. And, and so what that may look like is saying no, even if you're available, because it's nothing to do with your child per se, because certainly we all want to, you know, protect our children and and, and don't want to do anything to hurt them. But at the same time, it's, I'm protecting myself and my space and, and, and setting out boundaries because as parents, we have to be able to do what is needed and necessary without reliance on the other person, because without people being mad at me for sounding morbid, here's the reality. If you are not around and by around, I mean, permanently that other parent will have to figure it out. And so sometimes I think people need having that realization of, listen, don't kid yourself into thinking that if you're not around your parents or your sister or your best friend is somehow first in line to get your kids, because in most States, that's not how that works. Uh, If there is a living, breathing biological or adaptive parent whose, whose parental rights have not been terminated, which is a legal thing terminated that's where these kids are going. Right. And so I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves that, look, if we've got an era every other weekend scenario, or if we have a, you know, there would, you know, supposed to be with the other parent on Tuesday and Thursday, let them figure out what they're doing in terms of school ends at three 15, figure it out how you're picking them up or, 
they got to get to soccer and, and swim or whatever it is, make the other parent rise to the occasion, protect your time and, and set boundaries because it really is good for everybody. And one of the things you said earlier that I, I want to kind of really call out is, is you said that you think that this has really improved their relationship. Yeah. And, and I think in many ways that really can be a reality for so many kids, because otherwise when we're all together, people just have default roles and, and, and people get comfortable. And so in a space where truly is you got to rise to the occasion as the other parent here can really improve one's relationship with their child. Just my, and I will say, absolutely. And I will say parenting is hard no matter what your family formation is. And I think like people don't talk about it enough anymore, but the pandemic truly showed us that, that even for two parent households, like a, a, you know, a traditional, what we think of as traditional nuclear family. And it, it does, I will say the last few years have made me appreciate my own upbringing even more because I cannot imagine being a full-time single parent with no break yeah. ever. Yeah. And parenting is hard. And I, I really truly believe like when we look at indigenous communities and black communities and co- other communities that parent in community that do family in community, yeah. there is so much less stress on any individual one person, particularly mothers, which I could go down a whole analysis of the United States, but particularly <laughs> mothers, right? Where all responsibility falls onto them. And so I think it's so important. I, I really do think about how I am in community. I have friends who I think know my child just as well yes. as either one of us. And I trust just as much as either one of us to be that stand in when we're not around. Right. Um, And, and I think that that should be true for all families. And it it actually saddens me when I see people who I, I, it feels like I can see that they're very stressed and they're really trying to go it alone because they are trying to live up to an ideal that, that is not beneficial to anyone. And I think is doing harm to all of us. Absolutely. I, I, I truly think that it does take a village and having your child be able to have relationships and experiences and time with parents and extended family or friends in a way that we are all helping to grow and develop this person. I think that's how we become well-rounded human beings and people. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's, critically important. Um, I will say the last thing here on this co-parenting, I am, um, you know, married and, and we have, you know, children together and I tell my clients and people in mediation and in even my girlfriends who are divorced, I am often looking for a parenting schedule. Okay. I am often being like, listen, (laughs) can we do a week on week off? Can we, can you, Just go and be, cause I need just, you yeah. know, if I could consistently get two weekends a month where yeah. all three of them and by all three, that includes the husband being in another mm-hmm. space, mm-hmm. I, the, the, the time 
that I could decompress yeah. and organize my whole life would be yeah. a blessing. So I, I tell women constantly, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Don't, you know, cut yeah. off your nose to spite your face when you're thinking about parenting schedules, yeah. because truly there is value in having some consistent time that you can, whether it's go to the gym, work late, yeah. have a drink with a girlfriend or sit in your room and just have some peace. Take yeah. It. Take it, take it. Take and I think mothers need to understand that mothers in particular, I would say straight women in particular, need to understand that as long as your child is safe, like, so they, now hair combing is a struggle. We could have a whole other podcast on that. Mm-hmm. However, right? As long as your child is safe. So what if they don't do the bath routine the same or they let the kid watch whatever yeah. on television? those actually are far less important yes. than your own well-being. <laughs> yes. As long as your child is safe. Like if you truly believe your child not to be safe in a situation, that's a whole different story. Yes. But like we hold on to so much that like things have to be done the way that I've always done them because I'm right on their mom and I have something to prove. Yes. That is not. And I will say there's one other thing that you mentioned. I think I, you know, I go down rabbit holes with answering questions. But I I think you asked something about like, what does it feel like? And I, I actually have not ever felt that, you know, at first I was like, oh, I miss my kid. I will say there was one time, it was probably that first year that we were divorced where Mother's Day rolled around and that, you know, Instagram, you see all the posts of the, this and the, that and everything and I was like, well, why isn't that my mother's day? And I will say, yep. this is another place for us to do our own work because two things happened. I reflected on, I was like, well, my mother's days were never like right. this joyous, like in a park taking pictures in it. Like we never did that. So, okay. Right. So why am I upset that why I'm pining over that? Yes. Right. And then right. a few years later, I heard a woman say, I think this someone I know said, you know, and I plan all the activities for my Mother's Day anyway. Yep. yep. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yep. Right. So, like, you obviously, we know we tell kids all the time, like, you can't, the things you see on Instagram aren't necessarily real. They are but not. But I let, like, this moment of a story going by, or it's like everyone looks so happy and there is this nuclear family together yes. dictate how I felt in that moment. Yes. You know, and it wasn't, it wasn't my experience. It wasn't true for me. And so I think that's the thing that like, we have to really interrogate ourselves about like, what are you really upset about here? Yes. Um, I just wanted to share that. Cause I thought about that when you know, that's something. it's true. What are you really upset about here? And, and I, you know, look, social media is great until it ain't. And it ain't in many mm-hmm. of these people posting all of these pictures about how happy and joyous and all this, you know, um, family quote picture, but I'm going to tell you as somebody who's been in the divorce space for a very long time, uh, everything that's, you know, glittering ain't gold. And, right, right. you know, there's a lot of very unhappy people who are posting to convince themselves and others that what's yeah. happening in their household is picture perfect when, when oftentimes it's not, but when we think about kids and spending those times with them 
you know, it's the same when we talked about, you were talking about, you know, being married and, and the idea of quantity over quality. I, Mm -hmm. I honestly think that truly it's about the quality of the time when you are with the kids and not this idea of, oh, they always have to be with me up underneath me and whatever, because many people have their kids seven days a week, 24, seven kids are in the room, closing the door with on an iPad or video game. Parents are downstairs. Nobody's interacting and and connecting. It really is about, it's about the quality, but it is also about your mental health and you being in, in the best space that you can be to really show up for them. Um, yes, you did reference, um, about doing hair and trust me, we're going to have a whole different um, (laughs) podcast on things that we should be doing when we think about parenting schedules, especially in black families or in biracial families, um, because that is in in many families a challenge. But I want to close something out with how are you now? Like, right. When you look back at the divorce process, and where you are now, you know, what did you learn, I guess, about yourself, you know, since this process has, has finalized and, you know, what are you kind of, um, you know, most proud of? Yeah. I think one of the things that I learned was just, I was not using and or trusting my own voice and how I felt about things. Okay. Um, I was not speaking up. I think I, I spent a lot of time thinking that I had done something wrong. Right. And I wasn't pushing myself on that. Um, and just believing that the dynamic was off and the dynamic was off because we didn't get to know each other and I didn't ask questions. And I did like, in in different kinds of ways, I did not use my voice and I did not listen to myself. And so that was, that's one of the biggest things um, that I've learned and that I think that now, you know, I have a whole list and I don't mean the, like this kind of car, this kind of job, you know, whatever sort of list, like I have a whole list about ways of being and values that someone needs to have that are in alignment with who I am and what I want. And like, I have shared that with people, right? Like where there was a time that I would, I think be trying to figure out, you know, trying to do my own little investigation around whether or not, instead of just asking them, because then it felt like, oh gosh, if I ask them and they say no, Right. I'm going to have to make a decision. And right. I didn't want to, cause I liked that person or whatever. Right. And now I'm just like, yeah, I don't really have time for that. This is what it is. And so, and yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm really just proud of that. I think, like I said, like I was showing up in my marriage in ways that I did not think was right for myself or for my child. And I did not want to model that for her. Um, and I felt like I had an example of someone not showing up for themselves and their children. And so I think that now, you know, and there's always small things, there's always things that I just let go because it, you know, I'm like, it's not worth the hassle. Yes. Um, 
right now, but I'm pretty clear. Like I've had to make some and be directive in in a lot of ways, some big decisions in our child's life that I don't think he agreed with. And it didn't matter to me because, <laughs> because I knew, you know what I mean? Like the values I have in place, like around school, um, I knew what we were doing wasn't right, you know, I, yeah. without going too much into detail. And so, but having to really sort of stand my ground in, in that respect um, has just taught me that I can be that person that like, the I'm going to tell you off narrative that's happening in my head. Not that I'm telling anybody else, <laughs> but those things can actually translate to real life. And I can yes. use my voice to say like, actually, this is what I think. And this is what's important. Yes. And like, let's talk about why. Yeah. Um, and I just don't think I was that person. And it, it, it shocks me that I even thought I could be married. Like knowing what I know now, I'm like, what did I think I was doing? <laughs> what did I think I was getting into? Yeah. And who knew themselves that way? Like, I'm really proud of all of you all who are married. And, they, and you know, one of the things I've had to learn is that like a lot of people are finding themselves in marriage and through many fortunate means, some people are on the same path or they accommodate their partner or what have you. Right. Um, right. That it's not just like everyone knew, but me when they were, 28, 30, right. Like, you know, values alignment and all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I realized and like reconciled that for myself, but, um, (laughs) yeah, I think that's just one of the ways that, and I will say, you know, this is so random, but it is so me part of the reason outside of like DCFS that I was so concerned about housing was just like, I did not like living there. I really did not like his house. So it, I was never going to try and stay there. Okay. And I needed a space that I felt that I felt at home in, not just like home, but like, yeah. this is my space and I feel comfortable. And I think that's one of the ways in which I did not understand myself and my thinking and my voice is that I never truly felt comfortable there. Okay. And so that is something that I'm actually proud of. Like, as I sit around and look at my house, I'm like, oh my God, it's a mess in here. But it is, it is the space that I am comfortable in. Yes. And it, it feels like the security that you have in that, you know, you can build that with a partner, of course. Yeah. But if you're, if you're not having those conversations, just like my house is much more than my house to me. Yeah. You know, it's much more than the furniture. There's like a security here that I feel um, that I'm just really proud of that I was able to build for myself. It's a full circle, right? It's yeah. it, you were able to move forward, but finding your way back to you and getting to know you in a way that you didn't realize you needed and, and were able to do as a, as a part of this process. Um, before we end out, I do want to ask you, you recommended or referenced a book um, that you thought was maybe helpful for you in, in speaking to your mm-hmm. child um, about divorce. Um, you know, do you mind sharing um, that mm-hmm. book um, one? And then two, you know, if there were another kind of book or resource that, that you thought was particularly helpful, I'm sure listeners would, would appreciate knowing that information as well. Ma'am, my love language is recommending books. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me sit up straight and one of <laughs> and start. So the book for and so I do think it's interesting. I, I value like cultural spaces. Um the book that I will recommend for kids, I actually don't I guess I've been assuming that this guy was white this whole time. I have no idea who the author is or what he, you know, what he is, whatever. 
But um, there is a children's book author named Todd Parr, P-A-R-R, who has written several kind of books. Um, but one of them is called The Family Book. And it does use animals, like there's an issue of representation there. But I think <laughs> for a four-year-old, okay. that book was so helpful okay. in helping her see that her family did not need to be a mom and a dad in the same house at the same time. Okay. Um, and so that book was, that book was incredible. And we've actually just done a book purge because we are book lovers here. And it's, it's a book for little kids and she didn't want to get rid of it. And I was like, even though another kid could use it, she was like, no, like it just, it has, it has a lot of meaning for her. Okay. I think, yeah, for, for women going through this themselves, I have several. Um, <laughs> of course you do. One, <laughs> one, first and foremost, any Black woman who hasn't read Bell Hooks All About Love, like you just have to stop everything you're doing and understand yourself and just this different, how you are showing up for yourself. I mean, and, and each chapter takes on something different, but to me at the end of the day, that book okay. is about how Black women can show up for themselves in the world. Yeah. Um, someone that she references a lot, I have a little book of meditations called How to Love by Thich Nhat Hanh that is, I have underlined several, I have pages turned down. I read this daily, it sits out by my bed. I am not a religious person where somebody may have their Bible sitting out. I have this book next to me. Um, and there are some of the meditations in there that I read to my daughter on a fairly, fairly regular basis, just to sort of model like self-love um, for her. And then I'll just be quick. Um, Set Boundaries, Find Peace by Nedra Tawab is, I was blown away by that book and I'm still not good at setting boundaries, but it, it is a roadmap. Um, and then a book called How We Show Up by Mia Birdsong. And it really does look at um, the expansiveness of what family and community can be and how we learn that from some of the most marginalized communities. And she's mostly um, looking at how queer communities can marginalize that, I mean, can model that for us. Thinking about some of the people who are forced to find family outside of the traditional structures are often the best models for us of how to, because they have chosen to be in the communities that they're in. And I think that was just very helpful for me. I think, as I said, like, you know, looking around and who's in front of my child and navigating what family and family and friends and all of that looks like, that book has been very powerful for me as well. So the fact that you like rattled off all these amazing books, right? In my head, I'm like, well, clearly um, I need to one, get this, you know, grown girl book list kind of circulating. But two, as I think about, you know, the idea of expanding this community and I'm clearly like, all right, there's some sort of book club, something happening because <laughs> I can only imagine that there are a number of women who yeah. want spaces to be able to talk about 
these amazing books that have helped them or that are helping them and, and, and connect. So, um, thank you for that share. No Cause problem. you were on it. You were like, Oh, but wait, so I got a list, right? Like books are my thing. Books are my thing. So clearly. I didn't need to think about that. Yes. Yes. So I love it. I love it. I love it. So, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for, you know, the conversation today, your honesty and, and openness and, and really, you know, sharing your experience and in and, and this journey, because, you know, as someone who's worked as um, a divorce and family attorney for many years, I know that this experience can be a lonely experience, um, especially mm-hmm. for black women. And, you know, I know that while experts can, talk about the process and the um, details in terms of here's what needs to happen or here's what should happen. It's different than having somebody who gets it, who's been there, who can get through it. And so having you um, share your experience and your journey, um, I'm sure will certainly resonate, add value um, to someone else who is, who's, you know, kind of processing through her own journey. So I appreciate you for, for joining me today. No problem. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast. Remember, though you may be going through a difficult time, you're grown and you got this. Please be sure to tell your girlfriends about us. Follow us on Instagram at Grown Girl Divorce and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss out on any new conversations. The conversations on this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to substitute working directly with a lawyer. These episodes are not to be used as a basis to support or defend any legal action and transcripts or recordings of the podcast may not be used for any purpose without the direct written permission of the podcast owner.